May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable, acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So you may have noticed that recently we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And in the section that's coming up next, Jesus teaches in parables. So what is a parable? Well, a parable is a story that's set in a place or activity that is familiar to the listener. It starts out with normal things. It feels comfortable. But then just when you think you know what will happen, it takes a shift that leaves you, a twist, that leaves you wondering what's going on. It makes you think. So I tried to write a parable as an example. Um, the kingdom of God is like someone who buys a lottery ticket. But I've never bought a lottery ticket, so I didn't know how to finish that one. <laughs> the kingdom of God is like a woman who goes to the grocery store. Well, I could think of so many endings, I couldn't choose one. So since I couldn't come up with an original one, what I did was try to translate one that we'll read later on in Matthew's Gospel into something a little closer to our lives. There was a woman who lost her keys. She looked all over the house for them, even sweeping under the bed. Finally, she found them. So she called up all of her friends and neighbors and invited them to a party to celebrate her finding her lost keys. Now, I don't know about you, I lose my keys fairly often, but I have yet to throw a party when I found them. <laughs> Maybe I should, I'll have to think about that. But the point is that God rejoices over those who were lost and are found far beyond their individual worthiness. Well, there's another kind of story that Jesus told, and that is an allegory. In an allegory, every part of the story represents someone or something. We'll get back to that later. In the first half of today's gospel, we have a parable, the parable of the sower. And in the second half, that same story is interpreted as an allegory. So when a farmer planted seed in first century Palestine, he might plow his field and then with the sack of seed over his shoulder, go around and put the seed in the ground. Or he might scatter the seeds and then plow the field. In the latter case, he spread them by throwing them out so that they covered wide areas. And needless to say, some of the seed fell in places where it would not grow. This was normal and expected. But most of the seed would land in the field and be plowed under. And the farmer could expect the yield of about seven and a half bushels of grain for each bushel of seed. A really good harvest would be 10 bushels of grain for each bushel of seed. So while Jesus' story starts out in a way that was familiar to everyone, the normal way a field was sown, Jesus' story goes far beyond the normal harvest. Instead of 10 bushels of grain, this farmer got 100 bushels of grain, or 60, or 30. A very surprising ending 
quite different from what his listeners would expect. Now Jesus had been preaching and teaching for some time and he had sent out his disciples to do the same. And though lots of people listened, not all of them believed. In spite of the crowds that we hear about, in spite of the numbers of people who were convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, and in him the time when all the world would be ruled by God had begun, it must have been disappointing and frustrating to see the others who heard the message but didn't believe it or believe in Jesus. So this parable is a word of encouragement for them. Even though there were a lot of people who rejected what they had to say, who didn't become followers, who didn't let the word of God change their lives, the disciples needn't be discouraged. The coming of the reign of God was not determined by how many people signed up. It has to do with what God is doing. It is coming, and more people than they could imagine will follow Jesus. Now, the first church I served as rector was a church in South St. Louis, an area called Carondelet. It was a small church. Our usual Sunday attendance grew from 50 to 70 while I was there. But one day a woman in the parish stopped me and started talking about the middle school kids, seventh and eighth graders in the neighborhood. A large number of them lived in families where both parents worked. They were too old for childcare, too young to work, so they came home to an empty house with maybe four hours of time by themselves. For some it led to depression, to some it led to distraction and poor grades, and to some it was the opportunity to get into trouble, even gangs. So this parishioner thought that we should talk to the school about seeing if we could get some after-school sports or activities that would give other options for these latchkey kids. And we did just that. We started what became the Carondelet Youth Adventure Program. We found a nonprofit that sponsored after-school sports and got the school to stay open and allow us to use their facilities. Then another parishioner, a retired librarian, made arrangements for tutoring at the local library and recruited people to help. The local community center was run by a Roman Catholic nun. When she heard what we, do, we were doing, she talked to Catholic charities and they arranged to do some practical classes, like cooking. Many of the children cooked or at least started the family dinner before their parents came home. So the class included learning the ethnic foods of the various groups that lived in that area and the basics of, of cooking so that these young people would be able to make a healthy meal for their family. And every child who completed the course got cooking utensils and measuring cups. Now, for you and me, I have so many of them, I have, can't keep track. But for them, this was something they had never had. And it was a true gift. The teachers at the school volunteered to start some clubs. I remember a science club, and I know there were others. 
And then the parishioner who was a beautician came up with a class that was designed to develop self-esteem through modeling. She figured that if we called the class modeling, the girls would come. I found that one particularly moving because I would see girls come in at the beginning hunched in on themselves. And at the end, they were standing up straight and presenting themselves with confidence and assurance. The local Kmart allowed each girl to pick out an outfit that she could keep. And we ended that program with a fashion show for parents and anyone who was interested. We started with the thought of an after-school sports team or two. But God gave us people and ideas and the wherewithal to grow into a program beyond our wildest dreams. Some things didn't work. We got a grant, remember this is St. Louis, we got a grant from Anheuser-Busch, but Ralston Purina turned us down. We had to deal with racial and cultural tensions we didn't expect. But God gave us the vision and the grace to create an award-winning program that later was implemented in all the middle schools in the city. That is my experience of the sower and the seed. From one idea, with God's help, something great and life-changing occurred. Now, I promised to talk about allegory and the second part of today's gospel. Each piece of that story has been given an identification. The sower is God, the seed is the word, and each type of soil has a meaning. And what that does is it changes the focus of the story from the miraculous yield to the distinct types of soil and how they respond to the word of God it leads us to ask ourselves, what kind of soil am I? So what seed might God be planting in you? How are you listening to find out? Are you willing to find out and what do you expect to happen? Are you trying to do it on your own or with God's help and direction? If it is with God, if it is of God, the results might just be miraculous.